0: What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good.
1: This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Well, uh, good morning uh, to those of you who are joining us in the room Uh, and another shout out to those who are joining us online. Welcome to City on a Hill. Uh, particular welcome to those of us, those of you who are joining us for the first time. Uh, my name is Dave. It is my honour to serve as the lead pastor of this church. And uh, praise God uh, for the imminent launch of City on a Hill, Wollongong. My mum was born in Wollongong. It's a place I travelled to a lot uh, as a uh, as a child uh, and visiting family there. And so very thankful and excited. Uh, about all that God has done in Wollongong over many years, uh, and in particular, excited about what God will do through City on a Hill in Wollongong. Uh, Let me encourage you to continue to pray for Joel uh, as he leads the team, and for his wife Emma, along with their kids, and indeed the whole team. Uh, City on a Hill, um, as a movement of churches, we are convinced that the greatest need of every man, woman, and child in Australia, and indeed the world, is to know Jesus, That's why we want to plant more churches, and so please continue to pray that more people would come to know Jesus through this church plant, Uh, and if you'd like to give over and above your regular giving uh, to help support both City on the Hill, Wollongong, and other future church plants, uh, you can do that via the Give tab on our website. Hey, our uh, gathering today, though, we have the opportunity to get to know Jesus better, whether you've known Him uh, for your whole life or whether you're new to Jesus and Christianity, uh, our hope is that every single one of us, as a result of sitting with God's Word and hearing God speak, that we would all know Jesus better. Now, before we reflect upon uh, the passage that we've just had read out, I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray a traditional prayer that Christians have prayed throughout the ages on this Sunday, the fifth Sunday in the Lent season, which is kind of leading up to Easter, which is only two weeks away. Why don't you pray with me? Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the swift and varied changes of this world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Speak to us now, Lord through Your Holy Word, and all of God's people said, Amen. Well, in the Christian life, sometimes promises are made that, hey, if you come to Jesus, life will be great. Hear the invitation today, come to Jesus, welcome Jesus into your heart, and your life will be awesome, your life will be great. Now, when people are promised that coming to Jesus will lead to a good life, a great life, a worry-free life, when Christians have heard that message, they can then be surprised when suffering and hard times come. Yet, headlining our passage that we've had read out for us today, we learn that we ought not be surprised when difficult times come in the Christian life. We are up to the penultimate week of our 1 Peter teaching series. We conclude the series next week and then we celebrate Easter together. But the book of 1 Peter is a letter written by Peter, the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples. And he writes to Christians who are scattered throughout uh, a region in the ancient world that we would now consider to be modern day Christians. Turkey. These recipients are aliens, they're sojourners, they're exiles, they're kind of strangers in the place that they live. They belong to Jesus and the Kingdom of Jesus and they kind of don't quite fit in, in the world that they find themselves. Now, Peter, as he writes, continues to come back to a theme on suffering. Hey, Christian, wherever you are, wherever you're scattered, expect suffering. Now, The fact that Peter repeats not once, not twice, but there's kind of three main sections in a relatively short letter, he keeps coming back to this theme, suffering on repeat. Now, it's worthwhile, like a Bible tool and a uh, a Bible understanding tool that is worthwhile paying attention to, is that of repetition. When you see repetition in the Bible, whether it's big themes across whole chapters and whole testaments or, or whether it's in a paragraph, the repetition of the same word again and again and again. When we see ideas repeated and the more we see them repeated, the more we ought to pay attention, hey, why is this being repeated? You see, why is Peter repeating to these Christians scattered throughout the ancient world that suffering is real? Well, he's repeating it because he wants them and us, to respond rightly when suffering comes. The repeated concept of suffering in this letter means we must be ready to respond rightly to suffering. We're going to ask a simple question, therefore, and the question is this, how do we respond rightly to suffering? Got the question? How do we respond rightly to suffering? suffering. There's three things I want to show you uh, from our text this morning. Who's ready for the first one? Amazing. Uh, three things to see in response to the question, how do we respond rightly to suffering? Number one is, be ready for suffering. Be ready for suffering. First, first and foremost, there's this call to brace yourselves for a hit. Brace yourselves for suffering that will come. As Zach's already done for us, if you've got a Bible, keep it out, keep it open. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, again, we would love to gift you with one, so please see our team at the info desk if you would like to get hold of a paper Bible. But 1 Peter, chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, it says this, Beloved, okay, let's stop there. Let's think about that first word, it's going to be a long sermon if he's going to talk about every single word. Uh, We won't talk about every single word in the same way but it is worthwhile stopping before we keep reading and actually focusing in on that word, beloved. Before we unpack the suffering that Christians will be called to endure, Peter kind of uses this word powerfully, beloved. Peter is reminding his readers of who they are. So much of this series has been Peter reminding his recipients, then and now, of who we are. You see, the presence of suffering in the life of a Christian, remember this, does not mean that God has forgotten you. Christian, brother, sister, you are beloved of God. God has lavished His love upon you. You belong to Him. You are His loved one, beloved of God. Now, how has God loved you? Well, God has loved you in innumerable ways. He is the God who gives us life and breath and everything. He is the one by whom we are made. He is our Creator and yet, even though we've rebelled against our Creator, we've run from Him. We've tried to run life our way. We've sinned against Him in thought and in word and in deed. And yet the good news of God is that God still loves us. And God loves us with an everlasting love. And God loves us and pursues us. We've run from God, but He runs toward us with a relentless love. In the Gospel... The good news of Jesus Christ at the cross, as we've seen on repeat throughout the book of 1 Peter, and as we'll see again before we conclude the book of 1 Peter, we see at the cross that Jesus at the cross is the tangible evidence that God loves us, that God has poured His love upon us, that we are beloved. You know, Jesus not only lives the perfect exemplary life in our place, on our behalf, but Jesus goes to the cross. As we read about in chapter 2, Jesus himself bore in his body on that tree our sin, our guilt, our shame. Jesus died the death that we deserve. And Jesus dying the death that we deserve is a reminder that we are loved by God, And more than that, because Jesus conquered the grave, because His tomb is empty, all who trust in Him will be able to experience the everlasting love of God for eternity, because our tombs also will be empty. We too will be physically raised from the dead. Death will not be the end for those who belong to Jesus. Isn't that good news, brothers and sisters? None of us deserve God's love and God's kindness, and yet, God has freely loved us in Christ. Now, why pause for a, a couple of minutes on the opening word of verse 12, beloved? Well, it's important to know who you are, important to know that you are the beloved of God when we consider the rest of the verse. Pick it up, verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. You know, trials have already been spoken about in 1 Peter, Uh, you know, that they're a normal part of the Christian life. And now, though, there's kind of a descriptive word there of now they are fiery trials. You know, the first and second century and, and, in fact, throughout church history, there are many examples of Christians who have had very fiery trials, burnt alive because of their faith in Christ. You know, Zach's already said it this morning, we've got our prayer and praise night coming up in the week leading up to Easter and... We want to be praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world, knowing and remembering that Easter is a heightened time of persecution. Um, Tragically, I I, I can't remember an Easter where there wasn't a church that was bombed, a church that was burnt down, a church where, uh, where, where dozens of believers were killed while gathering at Easter. But Peter says to us today, to our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world today and indeed to his original recipients, don't be surprised. We've already learnt back in chapter 1 that trials have a refining effect upon a believer. A trial, whatever its nature that comes upon the believer, proves the genuineness of our faith and trust in Christ. You see, the tests and the trials that are to come are not necessarily a punishment, we're not necessarily being punished for something we've done wrong, but a test, in that whole language of test and trial, shows that, hey, there's actually a greater purpose going on here. God's going to use this, this trial, no matter the degree and the fieriness of it, for a greater purpose, as we'll see as we continue to read through this section. I still remember listening to uh, retired US pastor, John Piper. Some of you may have heard of him. Uh, this is some years ago. I listened to a teaching series of his. I think he did it in 1986. Uh, the audio quality wasn't amazing, but it was worthwhile listening to. And, and I remember as he kicked off this teaching series on the book of Job. Remember, the book of Job has a lot to say about suffering. And he said this, he said, look, my job as the pastor of this church is to prepare you brothers and sisters for when you will suffer not if you will suffer but when it is a certainty friends i have failed to fulfill my ministry if you've never heard me encouraging you to be ready for suffering you will suffer you will suffer because we are part of a, a broken world where things are not right. You will suffer sometimes because of your own sin and you will suffer because you are a Christian. If you're one who has been taught that, hey, if you come to Christ, everything will be great, hear quite clearly that that is inconsistent with the teaching of the Bible. Look at verse 12 again, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. There is nothing strange nor unexpected about suffering as a Christian. Question we began with How do we respond rightly to suffering then? Number one, be ready for suffering. Number two, rejoice with Christ in suffering. Number one, be ready for suffering. Number two, rejoice with Christ in suffering. And so if verse 12 has kicked us off and kind of said, hey, don't be surprised by trials, it feels like what would then follow after verse 12 is, get through them, brace yourselves, however you can go, But but no, it doesn't just say, hey, they're coming and it's going to be really bad, you might actually be surprised that the call is to rejoice in them. You see, over the next few verses, I want you to notice in this next section the way in which our relationship to Christ, that we have fellowship with Christ, will enable us to rejoice in suffering. We have, if you're a Christian, we have union with Christ. It's kind of a theological phrase and that's a really significant phrase. We are in Him, we are with Christ, we are included in Him. Our identity is found in Jesus. And because we're united to Jesus, we're strapped to Jesus, we are bound to Jesus, it means we are therefore connected not only to Jesus but we are connected to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit as well. We are connected to the Father, we are connected to the Son, we are connected to the Spirit because of Christ. We are united as believers to the everlasting, eternal, triune God. And what I want you to notice in this section is that when you know that you have union with Christ, that you are connected intimately to God, that will change everything about how we suffer and about how we respond to suffering, check it out with me. One Peter chapter four verse thirteen. It says, "But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed." But rejoice! It's not just hey, just hey, it's going to come. But rejoice in it when it comes. There's a commandment: rejoice. And we rejoice because when we suffer, we are sharing in Christ's sufferings. Now, what does that mean? It's not that Christ's sufferings were lacking, it's not that Christ's sufferings were insufficient. Uh, and it's not even that our suffering is it's not that our suffering is redemptive, that we're achieving salvation for the world. No, 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 Christ alone is our redemption. His suffering on our behalf in the place of sinners alone is the means by which sinners can be forgiven and restored into relationship with God. But our suffering at the hands of those who oppose Christ uh, means we suffer because we identify with Him. They are hostile to us because they were hostile to us. To him. We share in his sufferings as we too suffer. Whether that's the threat of physical persecution in unreached places, or whether that's the hostile comments, the snide comments made by your peers when you don't engage in the same behavior as them, made by your colleagues when they mock your faith in. Jesus. Not open hostility, not a hot war, but a cold war of sorts in the way that you are treated because of Christ. And yet, Peter says, rejoice. Rejoice now. It's not, how hey, once the suffering's over, you can rejoice that it's done. No, no, rejoice now. You're actually, this is part of your union with Jesus. This is part of living Him with you, you with Him. Rejoice now, but also rejoice and be glad in the future. There's that idea in verse 13 there, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. We We are rejoicing now, but we know there's a greater joy to come. You know, that be glad is the idea of an overflowing joy, joy upon joy. You know, one Peter uh, is a letter that's been written. uh, We've talked about this a few times over the whole series within a a clear eschatological framework. You're like, Dave, I don't think you've used that word before. Uh, What's eschatological? What's eschatology? Eschatology is the study of the last things remember we've seen this and kind of the framework in 1 Peter throughout this series is that he is writing in the context in between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. You know, Peter's original recipients were living in the last days, the last things is the time that they live and we too as more modern recipients of this letter, are also living between those two great events, the first and second coming of Christ. And when we live in between those two poles, we look back to the first coming of Christ and we can be joyful now, as we look back to what Christ has suffered and achieved for us on our behalf in His first coming, in the Gospel. But we can also be joyful now as we look forward and we can be joyful now because we know there's an even greater joy and a greater gladness to come that is all the more certain because of our certain hope that Christ will return. We are joyful because we are united with Christ, the one who has come as the suffering servant in His first coming. And we can rejoice now because we look forward when He will return, when His glory will be Revealed when suffering will be no more. You see, the way of Christ as you read the Gospels is that the cross came before the crown and that suffering comes before glory. The way of those who belong to Christ, therefore, is. That the cross comes before the crown. Suffering comes before glory. I love in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, the Apostle Paul, not Peter, but the Apostle Paul talks about difficulties in this life as light, momentary afflictions. Ah, yes, but a scratch is effectively what Paul says, which is wild because you read to the later chapters in 2 Corinthians and Paul literally has a list of all the ways he's been beaten up, he's been left for dead, he's been shipwrecked, he's been attacked by bandits at the river. There's kind of all this long list of catalogues of the ways in which Paul personally has been afflicted because of his gospel work in the ancient world. And yet he describes it as light and momentary affliction. Why? Because he's comparing it to the glory that is to come. Paul uses the language of, compared to the eternal weight of glory. He knows the weightiness of the glory that awaits those who belong to Jesus. So Paul can say, it's slight and momentary, these little afflictions. Just little pixels on the, on the high-definition screen of eternity. Just a little blip, a little moment. Peter. Peter says, we, we long for the future revelation of God's glory. And that future glory is to impact our life here and now. We rejoice that this is a symbol, a sign, this is a picture of our union with Christ. We are sharing with Christ. It goes on in verse 14 and says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Again, we've had some of that language before, earlier on in 1 Peter. But identifying with Christ means that, just like Christ was insulted, mocked and slandered, if that's how Christ was treated, that's how we'll be treated. Because of our faith in Christ, we will be insulted because we belong to Him. We will be insulted for the name of Christ, it says there in verse 14. And even when that happens, oh, you're blessed. You're blessed. You see, look what it says in the second half of verse 14. It says, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because, hey, you've got the Spirit of God you. And I think this verse here is supposed to remind us of a significant moment where the Spirit of God also rested upon someone in glory. I think it's supposed to remind us of Jesus' baptism. Peter even refers to it in 2 Peter, his second letter, chapter 1, he says, for when Jesus received honour and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, a lot of this language, Jesus is described as the beloved son. We, we've just been described, Christians, hey, you're beloved. The same language, the same word that the Father speaks from heaven to say that this is my son, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And remember what happens after the voice of the Father bears down? The Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. Jesus is the Spirit-anointed One. Jesus, the One who comes to suffer in this life, to ultimately suffer at the cross, is the One anointed by the Spirit of God. Jesus is the One who has been in perfect relationship with the Father and the Spirit for all of eternity. And we get a glimpse into that as we read the Gospels, as we see the baptism of Jesus, we see the Father, the Son and the Spirit at work together for the salvation of the world and yet isn't that extraordinary in this passage with the clear shadows and echoes of Jesus' baptism that we are the beloved of the Father because we, we belong to Jesus. That when we are treated as Christ was treated, we also have the Spirit of God upon us. Isn't that incredible? we've got this context of the fiery trials and and kind of even picture in your mind the flames all around someone in the midst of a fiery trial, literally. Or, Or perhaps as you think about the fiery trial that you are in now, there may not be literal flames, but you can't sleep at night as you look at what is ahead of you. It feels like those flames are kind of licking at your doorway, It feels like these trials are so difficult and unbearable and yet while the flames are all around us, there's a flame within us. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in each and every single believer. God is with us in the fire. God is with us in the storm. Father, Son, and Spirit are for us. We are united with Jesus. And so we rejoice, regardless of how painful this is. We rejoice because of the bigger picture. We rejoice because of what this says about God's relationship to us. We rejoice because of the future glory that is to come verse 15 has, I guess, a warning of sorts and it says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Okay, sometimes the trials that are before us are perhaps as a result of our behaviour. If you've committed murder recently, Uh, there there may well be some consequences to come. Uh, If you've committed theft recently, there may well be some consequences to come. That's fairly obvious enough, right, with with murder and with theft. Isn't that final one there, um, as a meddler, that's a little bit surprising... You kind of go from these headline moments to meddling. What is meddling? It's the idea of being a busybody, prying, uninvited into the affairs of others. Perhaps there's consequences you're experiencing in this life because of getting your hands dirty of your meddlesome behaviour. It's surprising that that's listed here in this verse. And yet, you might be thinking, you know what, I, Dave, cool story, I ain't a murderer. Cool story, I ain't a thief. Cool story, I ain't even a meddler. Well, uh, uh, here's one for all of us, uh, as a thief or an evildoer. That's kind of a bit of a capture us all, is it not? And, and, and here's the reality. Now, being called an evildoer is not saying that we're as bad as we can possibly be. It's not saying you are the worst possible person You could be, it's not saying you are the worst person on this planet and you are only evil all the time in all that you do. But here's the reality. An element of our suffering in this world will be as a result of our own evil doing. And so the encouragement from Peter is, let your suffering not be because of your evil doing, but rather because you're a Christian. Look at it, verse 16, he says, yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Uh, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Now, the word Christian, interestingly, only appears three times in the New Testament. That's probably surprising to hear that. Now, um, yeah, uh, before we talk about the, the name Christian, um, brief story, uh, in grade 7, uh, we had roll call classes where I think there was about 30 of us in the room from grade 7 to grade 12, uh, kind of uh, had the roll called out and any announcements, all that type of stuff, As kind of the opening homeroom class of the day. Um, I sat up the front and the Year 10s about three rows behind me, fairly early on in year seven, started calling me uh, sweaty back afro. And why did they call me sweaty back afro? Well, I played basketball when I got to school every morning and my back was sweaty and you could see it through, aren't those school shirts uncomfortable? You could see it through my school shirt. And maybe you didn't know, if I let my hair grow out, it's quite curly and in Year 7, I had quite an afro and hence the nickname, sweaty back afro and I thought, this, they're, they're insulting me, they're trying to rile me up, they're trying to kind of get at me but I thought, you know what, my, my back's sweaty and I'm not really ashamed of playing basketball, uh, I'm actually beating the Year 10 sometimes as well uh, and my hair's curly, that's cool, curls get the girls is what I was told and, <laughs> and so this term sweaty back afro, I went, I'm going to embrace it. Hey, guys! You know, I tried to learn their nicknames and just kind of roll with it. Hey, you're trying to insult me? I ain't ashamed of the basketball. I ain't ashamed of the locks. Christian was an insult in the early church. It was one of a number of insults in the early church. They were also called atheists. Isn't that interesting? Uh, because they didn't believe in all the pantheon of gods and the pagan gods, because there was lots of, lots and lots and lots of gods, and they didn't believe in them all. They were also called cannibals, because they ate and drank Christ in the Lord's Supper. Uh, not physically, <laughs> but they were kind of considered cannibals, and that was a, another insult. And Christian, ha, You little Christ, you little Christs. And yet, here's the thing that the early church did. It was a term that they were like oh, is that an insult? <laughs> yeah. Why wouldn't you want to identify with Christ? Why would you be ashamed of Him? You know, you can imagine the jeering, oh, you're just like Jesus Christ, you, you belong to Jesus Christ, you you little Christian. Hello, that's me. Let's, let's claim it. <laughs> yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I belong to to Jesus. I remember learning a story about a girl uh, named Fatima. Uh, In the early 2000s, she was um, from Saudi Arabia Uh, in her mid-twenties, and uh, she's living in one of the most hostile places on earth to be a Christian. Now, she hadn't always been a Christian, in fact, she started her life as a Muslim, her family were all Muslims, and after Fatima became a Christian, it was kind of a secret thing that she concealed from her family, she started blogging online, sharing with her friends and sharing with the internet her newfound excitement for God. She did it under an alias, so that her family wouldn't find out. She would regularly when people heard that she had been a muslim and now was a christian received all sorts of mockery. You know, one comment she received was you worship a foolish crucified lord. If i had you in my hands i would slaughter you twice. This is the type of vitriol that she received for being a christian. And yet one day her family did find out that she was a christian. The laptop was left open, the articles she'd been writing were read and her brothers and her father came down upon her. And um, one of the things that she wrote immediately after finding this out was this statement, she said, I am unto death a Christian. She kind of very publicly spoke about the fear and about the reality of what her brothers may well do to her. I am unto death a Christian. Uh, before long, after her brothers had found out she was a Christian, one of her brothers broke into her room, burned her face, burned her back, cut out her tongue, and killed her. She would have had many opportunities before then to say, I'm sorry, I'm not a Christian. I was was so foolish, I'll come back to the family, I'll come back to the faith of the family but for Fatima, I am unto death a Christian. She is unashamed of the name of Christ and to even rejoice in the face of suffering, dishonour for the sake of Christ. I love this quote from Sam Storms, he says, If one rejoices in suffering for Christ's sake, one shows that God is gloriously more valuable than the approval of men or the comfort and safety they might provide. If one blesses persecutors instead of retaliating, one shows that God is more than sufficient to satisfy one's longings. The most effective way to demonstrate that God is the preeminent treasure of one's heart is to relentlessly rejoice in Him when all other sources of satisfaction are stripped away brother sister do not be ashamed to wear the name christ to be united with him to suffer disgrace for him rejoice rejoice be glad now and be all the more glad when his glory is to be revealed how do we respond rightly to suffering number one be ready for suffering Number two, rejoice with Christ in suffering. And most briefly, number three, rely on God through suffering. We're ready for it, we rejoice in it, but the ultimate purpose is that we would rely on God. That our faith would be strengthened, that our faith would be deepened, that we would prove genuine that we are Christians. You know the final few verses, we we won't spend long here but we, we learn of judgment on the household of God that is not necessarily about punishment for sin but discipline. Ultimately, any hardship and any trials in this life are discipline from God. Ultimately, all hardship in this life, whether we are suffering some of the earthly consequences of sin or whether we are suffering because we are unashamedly standing up for Jesus, all of those trials and all of those hard times are uh, God working through that to discipline us as His people, to strengthen us and deepen our faith in Him. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, it says, "'For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner?'' You know, if, if hardship can be described as God's judgment on His people in this life, uh, it, it's, it's not that we will be judged for eternity. We will be saved from His wrath. We already are saved because of what Christ has done at His cross. And yet, it can still be described as judgment on the household of God. And, and so, if even God's people aren't going to have a, a cruisy ride how much worse, it says in the verse, for those who reject the Gospel of Christ, for those who fail to put their hope in Him. Christian, brother, sister, whether, whatever you're going through right now, however fiery it feels, this is the closest that Christians will get to hell, the hardships of this life. But for the non-Christian, however good or bad life is right now, It will be much worse in eternity if you suffer judgment from God for your sin. Sounds like a really harsh word and yet the good news in that word is turn from your sin, put your trust in Christ. That won't spare you from hardship in this life but it will certainly spare you from judgment on the last day. You know, ultimately the biggest encouragement in this passage lands in the final verse and we'll conclude there. It says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will, this is part of God's plan, entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Friends, trust God entrust yourself to Him, rely upon Him, depend upon Him, deepen your faith in Him. We've already seen back in chapter 2, verse 23, that Christ entrusted Himself to His Father. We can trust that God has got all of this. He's got all of us. We can trust in His Word, we can trust in His promises, we can trust in all that Christ has accomplished on our behalf, for our salvation, in His first coming and we can trust that God will keep us and spare us from eternal judgment at the second coming of Christ. He is good. He's the saviour of our souls. He's got this and He's got us. So I invite the band out the front, they'll close us out in song in a moment, but I noticed early this morning some videos online of beaches uh, in Sydney and on the central coast, just north of Sydney, places that I've lived, beaches that I've regularly gone to and just seeing footage that's come through from the wild storms and weather that has hit the New South Wales coastline and just kind of shocking to see these places that I that I know, where there's like even hundreds of meters of normal beach, and the beach has kind of disappeared, and and the water has come over the the break wall, the rock walls, and the break walls, and kind of through car parks and into businesses and into homes, kind of off the coastline, and seeing debris just kind of smashed up against rocks and against buildings, and it's it's kind of it's fairly confronting to see this and to kind of see it play out via these videos and yet seeing that debris kind of crashing against buildings and crashing against walls reminded me of a favourite quote of mine by Charles Spurgeon. He says this, I have learned to kiss the wave that strikes me against the rock of ages. Kiss the wave, show joy and gratitude that moment of hardship right now that you're facing all that will come in the future, the storms of life, the fiery trials, may they push us like debris kind of tossed about in the ocean to Christ, the rock of ages. There will be pain, there will be blood, there will be heartbreak. But may the moments and the trials in our lives cause us. To find hope in the place where we can only find hope and refuge on that rock. His name is Christ. And so we entrust ourselves all the more to our good and faithful Creator. Church, would you stand as we pray together? Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for the way that Your Word speaks to all of life including the trials and the hardships that will come. Father, we ask that you would prepare us well, that we would not be surprised when hardship comes, that you would even work in us by your spirit that we can rejoice because we know Jesus. We know what he has done for us in his first coming. We know what he will do for us in his second coming. And Father, our prayer is that every ounce of hardship will actually cause us to entrust ourselves to you all the more may may we kiss the wave that pushes us upon christ the rock of ages that we would deepen and strengthen our trust and our hope in him father we need your holy spirit to be upon us and within us and to strengthen us in this moment In the days ahead, the weeks ahead, the years ahead, until He returns. May we grow in our trust of Him. May we help each other to do that. And it's in the precious name of Jesus that we all pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.